Good evening. Um, very warm welcome to Christchurch. Uh, my name's Gordon. I'm the curate here uh, at Christchurch, and I'm helping sort of oversee this evening, along with Tom Nicolwright, who heads up our green team, who I'll introduce slightly later. Um, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you so much for coming and uh, stepping foot in the church. Please relax. You are very, very welcome. Uh, this evening, we're going to be exploring issues of climate change, asking some questions. Uh, we're going to be singing some songs about climate change. Graham's going to lead us in singing a couple of uh, songs of worship about uh, the environment and uh, creation. Um, but this, just as we start, uh, I'm going to speak a little bit about uh, where we've come on this journey as a church with issues of climate change um, and why we're doing this evening. Um, our journey began in earnest um, back uh, last year uh, when we had a three-part sermon series on creation, crisis, and the cross. Uh, the issues were all over the news, and we were asking ourselves as Christians, how do we respond? Um, so we began by asking the question, why is creation broken? Uh, and we looked at the creation story in the Bible, in Genesis, um, and we looked at how God created the world and created humanity and gave humanity uh, a role of being stewards of creation, to care for creation, to, to till it and to work it and to take care of it. Um, but then we looked at how despite the amazing abundance that we have in the world and the beauty of the world and that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden, we still want to overconsume. Uh, Adam and Eve, they could have had anything from the garden except fruit from one tree. And yet when they saw that it was pleasing to the eye and good to taste and good for gaining wisdom, uh, they, they took it, even though the Lord had said no. And we see in our own lives, don't we, where we see things that are enticing. Uh, they're good for wisdom, maybe the, the lithium batteries in our iPhones, or we see things that are pleasing to eat, like loads of meat. And we know in our own hearts that temptation to consume and to consume too much. And then we see how creation begins to break down. And we know that if we continue to uh, kind of consume at the rate we're consuming at the minute, that uh, the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change is sort of saying we really need to stick to. And even though we know that if we go beyond that, uh, there's going to be dire consequences for our, for our planet, we still struggle. I know that I still struggle in my own life to bring my life and lifestyle and personal choices into alignment with ways that will help care for creation uh, rather than make the situation worse. And so we then asked in the second sermon, well, is there any good news? Where's the hope? And of course, the answer is, well, there is some. Paul writes in the book of Colossians in the New Testament, for in him, in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. And we read elsewhere in the New Testament, um, in the Gospel of John, we read that God so loved the world, or literally the cosmos, the universe, the whole of creation. He, so, he loved it so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him might have eternal life. God loves the whole of creation and is seeking to reconcile all things to himself through what Christ has done for us in dying on the cross and rising again. And that means that solutions to the issues that we're facing, um, no matter how broken it might be or how tarnished it might have been by human hands, he has a plan. The earth is his. Creation was his idea and came from his hands. And he has a plan to heal it and redeem it. We might sometimes think that it all depends on us, but actually part of the good news is that 
we think it depends on God because we think that it was his creation first and he has a plan for healing it. And so he invites us to join with him in bringing about that kind of recreation, the renewed creation, the new creation we believe for helping all of us uh, in our journey with these issues is to know the power uh, of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit, God at work in our hearts and minds, um, shaping us into people who are passionate about these things uh, rather than sometimes the apathy we can feel, but instead actually people that are willing to live lives that are sacrificial, where we sacrifice some of the personal choices that we might have uh, in order to care for his creation. And so the final sermon asks the question of, well, where's this all going? Where's it all going to end? What's the, what's the big picture for the future? And we looked at a passage at the very end of the Bible uh, in Revelation 21, which talks about um, heaven coming down to earth, like a, in the image of a city, just saying, I'm making all things new. And it's this wonderful image of hope for the future that actually God is planning to heal creation uh, and to renew it. And that in his returning, that there's, one, there's something that we can look forward to um, with is making all things new in the here and now. Uh, we believe that we can begin to see some of that heaven, some of that creation, uh, new creation coming around us. So when we hear stories of answered prayer uh, or stories of people um, being prayed for and experiencing healing or when we see uh, the church or others reaching out to those who are in need and providing maybe in food banks or, or in other uh, ways of helping, we see something of God's kingdom coming. And it's the same for the environment when we see farmers rewilding their land or where we see um, companies making decisions about how they'll produce plastic or where we see individuals just making those little decisions uh, to alter their lifestyle so that actually um, there's a better impact for creation. That is part of what it means to see God's kingdom, to see heaven becoming a reality around us. That is God's agenda, we believe. And that's why climate change is important for us here at Christchurch. It's why we think that caring for creation should be a normal part of what it means for us as, as people that follow Jesus. So this evening, it's all about how do we make those practical choices? What, what's the information that's out there that's available to us? How can that influence our thinking? What little decisions can we begin to make or big decisions can we begin to make uh, in our day-to-day -day lives to care for creation better? And uh, very fortunate, as I've said, we've got Tom uh, and a panel who are going to be speaking to us uh, in a little bit uh, about what are those practicalities that we can get to grips with and answering some questions. Um, and church family, uh, we've begun to make some of those little changes and decisions. Uh, so um, we have, as you can see up here, we've got some sort of quick wins that we've been doing. We've been trying to reduce our single-use plastic, um, and uh, we've been trying to uh, source kind of uh, materials and other things that we use in the church from um, more ethical suppliers. Um, we've been having sermons on it, uh, we've been talking about it together, we've got a team together who are looking at it, um, and in the future we're hoping to change, you know, where do we get our electricity and our gas from, can we get them from renewable sources, uh, we're looking at sort of a, a something called EcoChurch that many of you might have heard of, uh, which is a little tool for thinking, you know, are we, which areas are we doing well in, which areas do we need to work on, uh, so that's a bit about uh, where we're going in the future. Um, but as I say, please don't think we're the experts or the pioneers. There are probably people here, uh, those of you who've been on this journey longer than we have, and we're hoping that this evening we can learn from you um, and uh, kind of follow in your footsteps and maybe catch up a bit uh, where we've been uh, behind in the past. Um, but just as I, uh, before I pass over to Graham, who's going to be leading us in some songs, um, I just want to end uh, this section by drawing our attention to what I believe is the, sort of the church's secret ingredient, or hopefully not so secret ingredient, uh, for this um, whole issue and how we come towards this issue. 
And that's that for those of us who know the love of God and know its reality in our lives and in our hearts, uh, for those of us that know that Jesus died for us and rose again, we know that there is a power in his death and resurrection which can change our hearts and can really help us to become peace. Therefore, care for creation in the same way that God cares for his creation. I think often the major obstacle for dealing with these issues um, more quickly uh, is, is, is my own heart. Is, that, is all of our hearts that we try to begin to get down this journey and then we find that there's a, a stumbling block. There's something we don't want to give up, we don't want to let go of. And actually, we really believe that uh, there's a way in which we can bring those things to God and he will help us to lay them down before him so that we can care uh, for his creation. Uh, so as we begin, uh, I'm going to pray and we're going to invite God by his Holy Spirit to be present with us um, and to be at work in our hearts this evening that we might leave here uh, people who are committed uh, to his creation in a new way. So Graham's going to uh, come up and I'm just going to pray and then uh, we're going to stand and sing for a few minutes together. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your creation. Thank you for its beauty, for its wonder. And thank you that you care for it so incredibly much, all of your creation on the cross, to reconcile all of it to yourself. And so, Lord, this evening as we think about these issues, would you be speaking to each of us? Show us where we can act, where we can make a pledge uh, to do something differently um, so that we can uh, all together uh, see your creation flourish in the world. Ta-da! Hey, hello everyone. I'm Tom. Uh, thank you for that. That was really good. Um, and thank you guys as well. Thank you for coming out tonight. And it's great to be part of your journey about how we can tackle the climate emergency. Um, yeah, there we go. So, we live we've seen massive typhoons in Southeast Asia. Uh, we've seen flooding up north. And I'm sure many of you will witness the fires in Australia that have killed over a billion animals in a matter of months. We know this is going on now than we could have predicted. So, looking forward to the future, if you have a look at the next slide, we've got a graph there. Um, the bit of circle where it's like, this is where you come in. So we know we're on a certain trajectory, and it's not a good trajectory. Uh, we've been slow to act, but that's where you come in tonight, and that's where your action matters there in 2020. So what does it look like in a few decades' time if we continue with business as usual? These are big, scary numbers, and it's only been the last couple of weeks that it's really hit me, and I've understood what's happening and what's going to happen for my kids and for their grandkids, and what I will see in my lifetime. We're talking big things. We're talking 50 million people becoming refugees because of flooding. If you imagine Syria, that was about 4 million refugees. We're talking about 4 million, 400 million people suffering in drought. We're talking about crop failure, about conflict. We're talking about all the coral reefs dying out, waves. And the sad thing is, that's the good outcome. That's if we really get stuck in. That's two degrees. We're on track for four degrees, maybe five degrees, which is many times worse. And um, yeah, it's big stuff, isn't it? Take a breath and just think about it. That's on the trajectory that we're on. We know that's where we're going. 
But um, there's hope. And on the next side, you'll see the solutions. 2020 is the year that we kickstart a decade of change. We know we have 10 years to act. We know the next 10 years are the most important 10 years in the lifespan of all humanity. And we know what the solutions are. We know we need to stop our addiction to fossil fuels. We know we need to switch over to renewable energy. And we know we need to save the forests and the oceans that protect us from climate change. And if you have another look at the, the next slide, 2020 is our year of opportunity. There's some big things happening. There's an ocean treaty uh, happening in the end of March. And this is where we could protect our oceans and lock in our oceans to suck up the carbon. We've got the 2020 deadline that 400 remove deforestation from their products. They promised in 2014 that they'd do this. They said, we'll have it sorted by 2020. 2020's here and they've done nothing. They failed us and we need to hold them to account. And a big thing for Britain is COP26 holding in Glasgow. This is where world leaders and world experts in climate come together. We're hosting it here in the UK. And this is an opportunity to push our government and companies to act this year and really make a difference. So that's the really big picture. And we must remember our roles of individuals as we take these actions that we're talking about tonight is to push companies and governments who are at fault and who have the power to change, we need to push them to change. Through our actions, we can show them that we want change because without us pushing them, they won't. They'll just go degrees. So next up, there should be a video slide which we'll play for you. Um, and this was a video put out by Greenpeace. And this sums up uh, yeah, the whole story. Give it a watch. Destroying nature, shattering lives, condemning species to extinction, and signing away hope for our world. Global corporations and governments hold immense power. For too long, they have used that power to profit from our planet, driving us into a climate and nature emergency. But no more. Business as usual is over. Scientists tell us we have just 10 years left to avoid catastrophic climate breakdown. Just a single childhood. 2020 must be the start of the decade when we make big business and governments change course. When millions of us act together, we'll turn the tide. With our voices, we'll make them stop pumping fossil fuels out of the ground. With our determination, we'll make them switch to clean, renewable energy and transport. With our actions, we'll make them save and protect our forests and oceans. The survival of our natural world is not up for negotiation. Companies and governments already have the solutions. Now it's time for them to act. This is the decade. This is the year. This is the time to accelerate change and create a better future for all who call this planet. Share to be a part of the decade of change.
Hi, so we're going to move into our panel part of the evening now. So if the panel would like to um, come up. Okay, so my name's Miriam. I'm going to be panel master for this evening. Um, and on our panel, we've got Tom, who you've already met. So Tom works for Greenpeace, and he's interested in plant-based diets. We've got um, Janet, who's a member of the Anglican Society for the Welfare of Animals, or known as, also known as ASWA. And we've got Harry, who's a local farmer, who is interested in growing low-impact meat and crops and working... The aims of this discussion, I mean, obviously, looking at that video and the information Tom told us, it can be extraordinarily overwhelming seeing those statistics. And it's really easy to sit there in stations with people who go, well, nothing I'm going to do is going to change anything. So it's very easy to feel that way. But we want to have a more hopeful outlook. We want to um, think more about what we can do. And so we're going to look at um, five areas in which we can make changes to make an impact on our environment this evening. Um, these are going to be um, what we're eating, um, our homes, travel, buying less stuff, and how we can campaign to make a difference as well. So the panel are going to take turns um, to talk about particular topics. But as we talk through, please do put your hand up at any point if you've got a question or anything like that. Um, we will try really hard to stick to timing. So if I have lots of questions and I ignore you or say we might have to talk about this at another time, please don't be offended. Um, I'm sure lots of us want to be in bed by 9.30 if possible. I definitely do. Um, our first topic is food, um, and I'm sure many of you have seen calls to change our diets, and we're very aware of this, um, that changing our diet is a response to climate change. Um, Tom, what is the link between the meat we eat and climate emergency? I'm oh, sorry. Give you the microphone, it's always a good start. Fantastic. Can everyone hear me okay? Great. Um, yes, so first slide up. Uh, is University of Oxford. So it's eating less meat and dairy is the single biggest way to reduce our impact on Earth. We're all looking for quick wins, and this feels like a really good quick win. And when I talk about this meat and dairy, it's the industrially farmed, high-intensity meat and dairy. Uh, and I've got a farmer on the panel, who I love very much. Um, and we're on, the same, we're on the same side of this discussion. There's a lot of media coverage about trying to pit vegans against farmers, and it's not like that. Uh, we're on, yeah, we're on the same side. Um, so yeah, next slide up uh, is carbon footprint. So there was a BBC panorama program uh, called Climate Change, and I think it was called What Can I Do? And they took a f uh, family of four, and they looked at their climate footprint. So at the top there, we've got uh, food, and we've got home, we've got travel, and then we've got other, which were apparently goods and services that they couldn't directly impact by change. And then if we pop to the next side, you can see the difference. So we've dropped like a ton off some of the other areas, but the biggest one, the 10 tons, was the food one. And that's the one that I think is why it's a quick win. Um, next up, we've got a question like, why is meat really intensive? And why is it a quick win? to cut down your meat intake. So top left, we've got soya. That comes from around the world, but 
Interestingly, it comes from South America as well. So you may have heard the Amazon fires last year. A lot of those fires were set to grow soya to import to Europe to feed to the chickens that we eat. So 95% of chickens are factory farmed, and they will be fed on soya. It's a very high protein. It can take a chick from like zero days to like just over a month, and there you've got your, you've got your chicken. It's quite water intensive as well. Uh, so you've got to put water in there and energy intensive because, they're in, because it's a factory farming as well. 70% of our meat in the UK is factory farmed. And a lot of this will be in restaurants, supermarkets, takeaways. Um, yeah, there's a lot of it out there. Next slide up, we've got a global view. Oh, sorry, this is another chicken slide. So this is a report that launched just yesterday. And it's talking about the different companies and their soy footprint. So Tesco's 500, yeah, massive footprint there. Um, and 99% of that was all on meat, all that soya. So as you can see, uh, deforestation in South America, farmers burning down the forest to be able to plant soy, to ship over to the UK, to feed to chickens, so we can buy it in Tesco's and KFC. And that's where you see like the two for one deals on the chicken or chicken for a three pound. Uh, that's how they get it so cheap. Next up is, uh, a global is a global view from the United Nations. Meat and dairy creates more emissions than the world's entire transport systems, which I think is a nice, a nice way of viewing it, because we look at cars, we look at planes, we look at trucks, we look at boats, and then we look at what's on our plate, and, they, and we don't feel that they correlate, but what we eat is a massive impact on the planet. There's three pictures here that I want to pick up on. One uh, is the beef cattle grazing in South America is the biggest cause of deforestation. So first it's cattle destroying forests, then it's growing soya, then it's things like palm oil. I'm sure many of you will have heard of palm oil and the problems with palm oil, but the big ones ahead of that is um, meat and then soya and then palm oil. Um, next one up is about food hunger. Um, so there's 800 million people now suffering from hunger and uh, problems with malnutrition, yet the amount of cereal which could feed three times this number is fed to animals. So most of the food that we grow on, on this planet is fed to animals to then feed to humans. Obviously, you get a lot of waste as you do that, so it's better just feed free. So tied up in those soybeans is slavery and forced labor in South America and child labor as well. As a really... A horrible business all the way down the system before it gets to us. There's a lot that's got into it. Um, practically to try and combat some of this. Yeah, definitely. Next slide up, we've got um, what the solution is. So the solution is obviously eat less intensively produced meat and dairy. So a recent report says we need to reduce by 90% the meat and dairy. Um, and we need to move over to a diet with a lot more veg, and a lot more pulses and nuts. This one is a bit difficult to see, but it's basically the reduction of the different types of meat. So it's like a 100% increase on pork um, and beef, and then a 500% increase on um, legumes and nuts and seeds and vegetables. So in the West, we have a very, in, very intense meat and dairy diet, and we need to switch over to the vegetables. Whereas in other places in the globally, other places, uh, need to eat a lot less meat because they already don't. They already eat a lot more diet with rich in vegetables. 
Um, and then we will have land savings. If we don't use this land to grow crops to feed to animals, we can then do it to grow more veg, or we can do it to plant trees to suck up more carbon. Great. And then the next slide is an example of a, a the dairy and the meat there in red and light blue. Those are the animal input into the diet. So it's very small. The rest is vegetables, whole grains, um, plant oils as well. And what we want to do is try and get that meat there really good quality and like the stuff Harry grows. So we eat a lot less. Last slide is just an example of how you can move to more plant-based. Lots of plant milks. You can try them this evening when you grab a tea or a coffee. Um, Greg's, for instance, and KFC are now doing vegan options. So has anyone tried the Greg's sausage roll? Yeah? Um, and then KFC are bringing out burgers as well. And then there's a whole range of different vegan cheeses and things like that. So there are, are options there that you can switch stuff out. Yeah, and that's me. Great. So um, I definitely hear a lot of people saying that they would not want to give up meat at all. It's, they don't want that taken away from them. And lots of people feel very strongly about it. So we tend to get this polarization between uh, people who are vegan or have a vegetarian diet and meat eaters. But as we can see, we can both be on the same side. So Harry, obviously your farming practices are nothing like the examples we've just seen. Not quite. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about um, your farm? Yeah, totally. So um, I'm a farmer from Pensas, just down the road, and we are mostly crops, but we do have a small number of sheep, um, and they sort of rotate amongst the crops. Uh, so they're, they're really well. Um, so, you know, firstly, I'd just like to say I'm so encouraged that we're having this conversation to be having 100 or so people chatting about where your food comes from. Ten years ago, it's all I was calling for. You know, as a farmer, it's a great thing to see. Um, and it's really important that we reconnect with nature. Three things, just briefly. So, uh, the importance of eating locally and seasonally, um, why we need to look after our soils, and how grass-fed livestock systems can fit into a sustainable farming system. Um, so... Choosing what to eat is important, but how it got there is probably more important, and how far it traveled as well. Um, for example, if you were to take asparagus, um, if it was grown in the UK, um, it would take about half a kilo of uh, carbon equivalent to grow one kilo of asparagus, which is about a standard for a UK vegetable. Um, if you were to fly it in, for, however, from Peru, it would be uh, about 14 kilos, so about 30 times that. So it's the same product, the same thing on your plate, but you just want it in December instead of having it in um, in seasonal time in June. So <clears throat> another one, just to make it a bit more complicated, if you look at tomatoes, um, both grown in the UK, if you were to eat seasonal tomatoes, they would be the same, about half a kilo. But if you ate tomatoes in February or March from a heated greenhouse, it'd be 50 kilos. So that's about 100 times difference. So um, if you stick the slide up, Sean. So this is a very um, basic example of a sort of seasonal vegetable, vegetable chart you can get. And it's a, it's a good way vegetables grow at what times of year. And I think it's a, that's something we really got to arm ourselves with um, to move forward. Um, so the same thing applies to meat and dairy. So meat is not one category. There's sustainable ways of producing meat, and there's unsustainable ways of producing meat, as Tom has definitely just shown there. Um, and can we have the next slide? Very different to globally. So 10% is agriculture. Um, and so it is, but it is definitely an area you can change by, through your diet. Um, we grow a lot of grass in the UK, we've got a lot of rainfall, a lot of sun, and we've got quite a temperate climate. And so in the UK, we're able to produce um, livestock off no inputs and 
farming's improving all the time in that area as well. Um, so yeah, that's a difficulty being tied into global statistics with farming. Um, so I think the more important thing to look at actually with farming is the soil. And this is something, there's a few articles that have been coming out um, recently about soil, but it's been a really overlooked thing. There's actually three times the carbon in the top layer of soil than there is in the entire atmosphere. And carbon content of soil can range from variously, like massively, from 1% in an arable field to maybe 5 or 10% in, in a grass field. And um, I think I, I had a, read a stat recently, it says 0.1% of the carbon, if that was lost in Europe's soils, would be the equivalent of the annual emissions from 100 million cars. So considering that farmers have 75% of the UK and that farmers are looking after their soils, bringing carbon back into their soils. And so grassland rotations is actually a really interesting and good way of doing this. So farmers are bringing grassland rotations back into their arable systems, and they're bringing animals onto the land to, to raise the carbon levels, to keep the soils sustainable, because otherwise the worry is in about 60 or 100 years, we won't actually be able to grow crops on these soils if we keep taking off, keep taking off each year. Um, can we get the next slide? Great. So, um, so the grassland is used, and you know, if you're growing grass, you can use it for cattle and sheep. And so these, this outdoor extensive system is a very different one to when you're housing cattle and bringing them feed. And this system has existed for thousands of years. So this is a, you won't be able to see all the details on here, but you hear a lot of stats on the carbon emissions of a cow. And these come from methane, and so there's a big difference between methane and carbon. And methane only lasts for 10 years, whereas carbon lasts for well over 100. And so this, this methane cycle has existed for a long time and is a stable system balanced out by the grass that they grow, the grass that they graze. So if you take the cow off the grass and put it in a, in a barn, then you grow crops, and CO2 coming from growing crops. So keeping the cows on outside and keeping the sheep grazed outside is the way to produce sustainable um, meat. Um, yeah. So for example, on our farm, what we're doing is we're having breaks of two years every five years in our arable systems to grow grasses. And we, um, we extensively graze these, um, and we're seeing real increase in our number of earthworms, number of insects, things like that. We're putting in um, wildflower strips into our arable land to increase the number of bees and, poll and pollinators. And there's a lot of ways that farmers are reconnecting, I think, with nature to, to, improve, their, um, to improve their biodiversity. And I think the real key is balance. We need a balance. We do need, so we need Trees is a massive thing. So you also heard of all the different things, that, the pledges for planting trees. And in the right areas, this is really important. But it needs to be balanced with areas of grassland and areas of arable to provide a sort of balanced um, ecosystem. Um, and last thing I was, I was talking about, thinking about is waste. So the UK wastes a third of all of our food. So that's effectively, I was thinking earlier, like the south of England growing all their food and then just throwing it away. And this is a massive waste. I think this is, is like, like you're saying, cutting down on um, factory farmed meat. Cutting down our waste is a massive thing that we can look at doing. It's a really simple thing to do. Um, and within animals can be used, such as from oat milk um, and soya milk, things like that. The, the byproducts um, can form a sort of balanced system. Um, yeah, yeah. So it sounds like a real way forward is reconnecting with nature, um, avoiding those yeah. 
and eating things in season. Yeah, definitely, well. Lo locally and seasonally. I think if you put the next slide up, we got a bit of a, um, a summary of those things, yeah. That's me. Great. <laughs> um, so, Janet, you work with ASWA. Can you tell us a bit more about how we can reconnect with nature? Yes. Um, as Mira said, I'm a trustee of the Anglican Society of Welfare of Animals, and our main aim is to encourage churches to put creation and animal welfare um, on their curriculum. That's our mission field. Um, but I think the challenge we face today is how to live in a way to care for God's creation as a whole. We're all interconnected, and the way we live makes a difference. So if we're living a sustainable lifestyle, we're connecting and caring for the creation and being good stewards. So it's all, we're all interconnected, and whatever we do has an effect. Would you say that that's part of our Christian worship as well? I would so, very much so. And I don't know what the people, the audience think here, if you want to show a hand on that. Yeah. It's definitely something we, we sometimes forget, isn't it? That um, whether we see caring for nature as part of worship as well, whether we often forget about that. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, yes, um, we do various things throughout the year, but there's one incentive that we've started about five years ago. Um, it's a bit like the A. Russia one, the Eco Church, but ours is Animal Friendly Church, and it's proven to be very popular in the last two years, actually. Um, so basically, you can go online and you can register, you know, your church. And it's a great way to just become a greener church. So um, last year, I was visiting churches that were doing this all over the country. And if I can just give you an example, there uh, one in particular, two in particular that stood out. One was in um, Cornwall, in Penzance, and they had rather a large garden around their church and they were working with um, local community and trying to encourage back the Cornish black bee so they produced the right habitat in their garden and they, they were encouraging that. They were also um, encouraging the local animal sanctuaries, they were becoming greener within their church, not using plastic, using ethical. Another church, um, St Mary's in Greenhithe have their own vegetable garden, and the local community would come and um, help. They also had their own rescued hens um, from the British Welfare Hen Trust. And so all these things were helping in the environmental things that they were helping on. It was really encouraging. Sounds great. Sounds a bit like a commune. We should do that. <laughs> um, ASWA also supports an organisation called Compassion in World Farming. Um, can you tell us a bit about what they do? Yeah. Um, yeah, ASWA really support them. It's one of their main charities because um, they do so much, actually. They've been going for about 50 years, and basically they are encouraging the farming world to have a higher animal welfare system. So um, this year in particular, they really want to encourage farmers not to use cages. Um, so they want sustainable meats, um, sustainable fish, because fish is uh, factory farmed as well. So basically, they're an amazing charity. And with regarding being sustainable, 
the intensive farming system isn't, and it, it's unethical to eat animals, and the whole thing just doesn't work. So they're moving towards this higher farming and encouraging farms to do the same. Um, I think another thing what they're doing as well is that they're not just working in the EU, they're also working in the rest of the world. And they've made quite a difference in China at the moment. So they're encouraging the Middle East and um, Asia. So it's a planet's guidance. We um, have also changed all of our cleaning products at mm. Christchurch. Can you tell us um, about the ethical products you've introduced here? Um, what products are they and why are they better? Yeah, so as part of the green team, we're changing things. We've um, changed our plastic. We've got these reusable cups, they're for sale for about, and um, one thing I wanted to do was uh, look at the cleaning products and, and sort of see if we could improve on those, because there's many products out there that have chemicals in them that are really harmful to the environment. They have sulfates and bleaches and all the harsh chemicals. So we've chosen one here called BioD, and that's really super sort of pure, also, to, if you want to do that yourself, you need to look for the logos. There's various logos, Leaping Bunny logo, which means, um, and also the organic sustainable farming logo. So, you know, we've changed it in the church, but also you could do the same in your own lifestyle. You could change your own products and help the environment. That sounds great. Um, at this point, I feel slightly compelled to... I'm a teacher. This is something I do with my students. So I, I teach my students about um, animal testing. And I always ask them this question. Um, put your hand up if you think cosmetic testing or testing cleaning products on animals is wrong. I ask them to put their hands up. So I'm going to get you guys <laughs> to put your hands up. Uh, keep your hands up if you check when you buy something whether or not it has been tested. Ooh... You're doing slightly better than the teenagers, but it, it is something for us to be aware of. And I myself will sometimes buy something and, and not check because it's not always something that's in our minds. But it's something to make a renewed commitment to, isn't it? To just check for that yeah. leaping bunny or, um, or check that it doesn't have the one with all the dead fish on it at yeah. the back. Because that's, that's a bad one. <laughs> um, so we've made it through one of our biggest topics. Um, at this Point. Is there any questions from the audience? Yes. Excuse me. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Gordon. Be my mic man. <laughs> thank you all very much for starting us off for your insights and thoughts. Very much appreciated. Um, we are predominantly lazy, otherwise we wouldn't have this problem. Um, so we need to be fed like children, simple steps. So we've learned that... All I'm now confused where they sit in the very good advice you've given us. I'm tempted to bin them because people lie about them anyway and just to look for my local farm, something that is in season, and forget about those. But do they still matter, those sorts of tags? Any advice would be welcome. So you're saying free range and organic. I think um, organic is a difficult one. It, it does guarantee a certain level of Stand, a standard. So I think I often go for organic products, but it doesn't guarantee everything. And some organic practices, um, because you can't use sprays, and some sprays are harmful and some sprays aren't, you actually end up using a lot more fuel because you've got to do a lot of mechanical weeding um, and things like that. And so it's not always a positive. So it is quite varied. So it's, it's not a guarantee. 
and local and seasonal is more uh, is product. so looking at soils. If you turn over your soils, so to get rid of weeds in an organic system, you have to plow, and plowing releases a lot of nitrous oxides and carbon into the atmosphere. So cultivating soils is something we try and avoid now. So we direct drill straight into the top. Chickens is an example. Um, I only buy eggs from free-range farms. I actually worked on a free-range chicken farm for about six months, and all the chickens didn't go outside. They just stayed inside anyway. So it, it is, it's a good standard, and it gives chickens the ability to be outside. Um, and I think, I think it is important, but it's also, I think every argument has balance, has, needs more research, and I think I'm still, I, I probably don't qualified enough to know about each system, about its benefits, but I would definitely think they're not bad, they're not bad labels. That helps. Any other questions? There's one at the back. I'm coming. Um, thank you for that. So, um, are you going to hold it for me? Amazing. He's a mic stand and a multi-purpose <laughs> vicar. So, um, <clears throat> one of the things I was really struck by was you talking about, you know, food waste and, and the way that it's all, all dealt with. And I was really struck just before Christmas where I was standing on the tube in London and there was a sign on the wall from this new app called Olio. I don't know if you've come across a period in the UK 883 million meals will be thrown away. Um, and it really, you know, hit me um, that actually, and this is a food sharing app where if you've got excess food, you can find and use it to distribute to people that don't have. And so we can talk a lot about buying when now we're living in a nation where there are more food banks than there are McDonald's. Lots of those things tend to be more expensive. And so it's a, it must be a real challenge for people to be able to do that. So um, where do you sit on, I guess it's things like, there's, there's also that app Geeky, do you, have you seen that? So if anyone's come across Geeky, G-I-K-I, it's an app that basically has every supermarket product you can possibly think of. There's like 200,000 products. And when you go shopping, it's done all the research for you and you can scan it with your phone and it will tell you whether it's sustainable and what its heritage is to help you. Because I find it really confusing so I was sat in a supermarket with my kids with two pieces of broccoli, one of which said, um, which doesn't often happen to me for anyone that knows me, but, <laughs> but we were there, two pieces of broccoli, one of which was loose and had no wrapping, and one of which was so organic and this, that, and the other, but was wrapped in plastic. And I was going, well, okay, is it better for the environment that I get the one that's all organic and wonderful, or is it better that I get the one that's not got plastic? So it's, I find it really confusing. So advice on day-to-day making those choices. How do we do that? Thank you for that. Um, I think a couple of points I'll pick up on there. Um, I definitely think new technology will definitely give us opportunities like this. Something we would love to see is labeling on food, just as you have you know, high sugar content, um, have that for climate. So the same guy at the start, you know, from the Oxford University study, Joseph, he thinks the biggest solution is on your food to have the climate impact. So you can see the red marks as what's high, high impact, and you can see the orange and the, the green as low impact. So you could, for instance, have a piece of meat from Harris Farm, which is low impact, sitting next to a piece of meat, which has been factory farmed soybeans from South America causing deforestation, and right next, very quickly, you would be able to see 
which one you would go for. Um, and yes, I definitely think stopping the waste of food is, is something big that we can tackle. Like Harry said, a third of all the food that is grown uh, is a waste. It's not only a waste of food, it's also really sad for the farmers as well that they're putting all this energy and time into growing us food and it's just going straight in the bin. So yeah, some good points there that we can look into. Thank you. Um, just want to say something about labelling. Um, Compassion in World Farming are bringing about labels, uh, honest labelling, and they want that to go on food so that we know what we're looking for, or if it's RSPCA source. So they are creating uh, a labelling system that's going to help us, hopefully, in the near future. Thank you. Um, I'm pretty sure that <clears throat> it's correct to say that 2% of the average supermarket shop carbon footprint comes from the packaging. So much more comes from the way it's grown and where it's come from, if that's helpful. It's obviously a waste issue and plastic isn't something to be ignored, but in terms of carbon, that's the case. Um, just to sort of reiterate, because you mentioned the part about price. So um, the uh, zero-way shop down in the Pantos opened, which is fantastic. And I would love to buy everything from there. Um, but some things are more expensive, you know, some things are cheaper as well. But how do you balance trying to protect the environment and also having money to live <laughs> as well? Um, oh, I, I'd say, well... Um, so people, I think, about 40, 50 years ago, used to spend 40% of their income on food, and now we expect to spend 10%. So it is, I think, um, if you were to take eating meat, the way I would approach it now is I would have the same budget, but I would eat less and better. Um, but it is a real tricky one. I don't know whether you've got anything to share on that, Tom. Yeah. I think, um, so I've been doing plant-based for quite a while now, um, but thinking about other things like clothes and single-use plastic, I'm, I'm still quite new to. And I think what I've learned is to be slow and invest in things. You are going to have to invest in things. But try and make what you buy last, buy better quality things that last longer. So when you buy clothes or when you buy, yeah, when you buy things, make, imagine that they will last you a lot longer. Um, and so they are more expensive but they'll pay back over the years. And again, um, yeah, it's down to what you can do. Um, so don't feel pressured that you have to, you know, get all, the, get all the best stuff. You just have to do as much as you can today and keep working forward into the future. Okay. Um, just to say, no disrespect, but most of the audience here is pretty middle class. And if you're going into a supermarket and you've got a choice between this chicken, organic, free range, et cetera, et cetera, and this one is two for the price of one, and you're on universal credit, you haven't said anything about social justice. Do you think that's an issue, or what have you got to say about social justice? So I think the way the food system has been set up in the last few decades is companies are pushing cheap and not nutritional food on the less privileged in society. You're very right to call out the fact that most people here are white and middle class. Um, what we need and what we need to strive for is better quality food. The government needs to give subsidies to think a really easy thing to, 
to access, and government um, companies need to stop pushing cheap meat that doesn't have the nutrition it did 50 years ago on um, the poorest in our society. There is this narrative that we need to keep cheap meat because people with less money need to eat cheap meat. But the cheap meat doesn't have the nutrition it did 50 years ago. You know, this meat is grown very quickly. It's often pumped full of water and lots of other stuff. And we shouldn't be forcing the poorest in society to live on a really low quality diet. So yeah, what I would love to see is a shift to more plant-based eating that's healthier because you get more of the nutrients and the vitamins and the phytonutrients. Um, but for the government to make it more accessible. So I definitely think that's something we can push for. It needs to be planet-friendly food, but it also needs to be healthier food as well and accessible for everyone. So thank you for raising that. I think we've got time for one more question on this topic. You can choose, Gordon. Mm. <laughs> oh, and just to say, um, this is the first talk of future. We will be able to do one specifically on food and specifically on actions and home and travel, where we can have a real deep dive into food and think about local solutions. I know a lot of you are very interested in certain topics, so if your questions don't get answered here, trust me, there's more coming. Hi, uh, this is a question for Harry. Um, no, not you. Not, <laughs> not my son, Harry. The farmer, Harry. Um, <laughs> So, Harry, how, how do you make your produce accessible to the local market? Great question. Um, I'm working on that. So we've done farmers markets for the last 12 years or so. Um, and this is, so we, once a month we were selling through um, the Pentest market. I also sell to a butcher, so a local butcher. Um, and so this, these are ways you can get hold of it. That is, I think, I think that's the most the farmer's greatest, so the, the most needed thing to come because farmers are great at working and they're great at producing food, but they're often not very good at promoting themselves or getting out into the public eye. And I think where people are starting to realize where their food comes from, there will be a more move towards that. Um, I sell about once every two months. I do like a day on the farm and I sell local lamb and beef and I often get other people in to sell their produce and stuff. So that's something I'm looking to do more of. Great. Um, our next topic is looking at um, our homes and things like that. So what, can we, what else can we do in the home apart from change our diet, Tom? Yeah, cool. Hello, everyone. Um, so we had a couple of emails about different things about the home, talking about converting gas boilers to electric or potentially in the future hydrogen. We know we've got this system set up to heat our house, and big companies like British Gas don't want to lose that system. They want to convert it to things like hydrogen um, so they can keep themselves in business. So in the way in the future, we may see a move like that. We're seeing people move over to electric boilers because you can generate uh, wind power, can generate that, and solar power can generate that. Um, we're seeing people put solar panels on their houses. Uh, it's quite expensive to do. The government has sadly just cut subsidies for that. And the government also cut the ability to sell your energy back to the energy provider. Um, so the government's, yeah, own goal there really on climate. Um, so we will have other sessions this year on the home. It's not my speciality, so I think we can 
dig into that a bit more in the coming talks. But I think the biggest thing that we can do, and what we're striving to do here uh, at Christchurch, is to switch to renewable energy. So if you have a look up there, um, there's many companies like Ecotricity and Bulb and Octopus that are providing wind and onshore wind. Um, a lot of these like green tech, like offshore wind, has had a massive growth in the last few years. I think it was last year where it was producing energy cheaper than nuclear. And this is where the future is moving. We live on a very windy island. We've got constant wind. Um, and you can see, you know, you can see the share in renewable energies rising year on year. You've got big companies set up who don't want that to happen. Companies uh, like BP, who only spend 3% of their investment in renewable energy. The rest, they're still pouring into oil and gas exploration. This is the future, and it's growing, and I think we can move towards that. And every person that signs up towards renewable energy is another sort of, yeah, another push to move to that way of gathering energy. And just to think back to the bigger picture, we've got um, natural defense systems, which are the oceans and the forests that suck up the carbon. And we've got natural energy sources and uh, with the waves as well, so turbines. I think we'll look back in a few decades' time and be thinking, how, how are we not using this free energy? How are we not getting this? Um, I do, some of those options are more expensive than you would currently pay for some providers, but it can afford to jump into renewable energy. Um, it will get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So that's where I'd push people, and that's where we're trying to move to here at the church, is to move over to renewable energy. But yeah, just to say, there will be another talk on home improvements that we'll be doing where we can dive in a bit more into some of those other questions about insulation, gas boilers, solar panels. And we're hoping perhaps get some experts in to talk to us about those options, and also people that have already done that to their homes to talk about how they did it. It is really easy to swap. I swapped to Bulb a while ago, and I hate doing anything like that because I was thinking I'm going to be on the phone for an hour, but I did it in two minutes on my phone, and it's cheaper as well. So I'd really encourage anyone to do it this evening and um, make a first step towards that. Um, let's talk about our next topic, which is travel. Most of us probably don't fly very often, but we do know that that is something that has a huge impact on the environment. Um, Tom mentioned earlier the Panorama um, episode where um, the family of four um, were looking at reducing their impact. And one of the things that they looked at was flying. So they had a family holiday to Spain where four of them flew to Spain and the mother also flew to America in that year. I'm assuming she came back as well. Um, and that was the same carbon emissions as their other travel for the whole year. So flying has an absolutely huge impact. So I guess that's one challenge for us, isn't it? To think about reducing um, our flying where we can, whether we can holiday in the UK rather than go abroad. I find that easy because I hate flying. I just feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> it's not happened yet. <laughs> um, I do often, when I get on a plane, I used to be quite scared of flying. I used to think, okay, so these are people I die with. Uh, <laughs> confessing your sins, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> uh. 
been there. Um, but now I'm fine. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so most of us aren't flying every day, obviously. Um, but one thing that lots of us are doing every day is driving a car. And especially around here, I think lots of us would really struggle to get to work um, or anywhere else we need to be without a car. Um, we do have options like hybrids and electric cars. Harry's dad has an electric car. If we will get an ooh. <laughs> Pretty fancy. Very fancy. Can you tell us a bit about it, please? Uh, yeah, so my um, dad is very keen on renewable and bought an electric car. So it's, he's got it on a, um, a sort of timer. So when the sun comes out, it starts charging. So he charges his car in the sun. Uh, and it's great. They can drive about. It's a Nissan Leaf and they've upgraded it since, and they can do about 130 miles per charge. It's, it's not the answer, it definitely helps. I think over a lifetime of a car, with uh, presuming that the, um, even if the electricity came from non-renewable sources, it's about half the emissions of, of uh, driving a petrol or a diesel car. Um, but getting a new car in the first place is pretty energy um, thirsty, so I think, a lot of the time you think, oh, I'll switch to my car, I'll scrap my old car, get a new one. But I think the, the embodied energy within buying a brand new car and building one is pretty high. So it's not something to jump at, but at your next car, maybe it's something to think about. Mm. That actually links, links to our next topic, which is overconsumption. But before we do talk about that, does anyone have any questions about the home or travel? And there's one question at the back. Hi, this, uh, this is a question to Tom. Um, <laughs> I love the idea of an electric car, but one of the things I am really concerned about is the environmental impact on the lithium and other mm -hmm. items. Comparing the environmental impact on these minings or this processing of various minerals uh, on the electric cars compared to our conventional diesel and petrol, or even a hybrid. Yeah, um, so yes, there are issues with moving over to electric Africa, where there's slavery involved in mining these, um, which, we, which needs to be better regulated, so that there definitely are problems. Um, the biggest thing that we do need to do is move away from oil and gas. We know that. We know of all the oil and gas we've explored, we can only burn 30% of it left. Um, so even the stuff that we've discovered, we can't use because it will destroy the planet. So we definitely need to move away from that. The solutions uh, need to be more public transport. They need to be cheaper or free transport. Again, as we've talked about, like the social justice angle, um, there needs to be free, um, and the transport needs to be electrified. So we definitely need to cut down on what we're doing. We're not just saying switch everyone to electric or hybrid cars. So we're gonna see public transport and we need massive government investment building those systems and building electrified systems as well. So we need more charging points and supercharging points on motorways. So we're not saying everyone just switch to a hybrid. Definitely start, the, start uh, at the top there. So flying once a year or not at all and just holiday in the UK. Walking more, cycling more, taking public transport. And then as you get down, moving over to hybrids. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, in the transition with some of these technologies, 
will throw up big problems as well. Problems with social justice, problems with slavery, um, new problems with new tech. But I think the biggest things we need to move away from are those fossil fuels. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, we're taking learnings as we move forward, but as with all things, as you discover new things, new problems come up. Any more questions on the home or travel? Okay, covered it. Um, right, so we, we talked about overconsumption, um, and we've definitely um, seen a big focus on overconsumption when it comes to plastic, um, the amount of plastic that we've got in the oceans and things like that. Um, Janet, how bad is it? Well, most of us have seen the supermarkets, can't really get away from um, plastic-covered vegetables or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I've really made a change. I now go to Zero Waste. Uh, I think they were demonstrating downstairs. Um, it's so enlightening to go there because they are vegetables on display. Um, I choose these amazing organic vegetables and fruit and other produce. They can tell, they speak to me where it's all come from, which is amazing. I have a cup of coffee there as well, which is also lovely. Um, so I just want to move away from plastic. Obviously, I do use a supermarket, um, and, and things are improving. I mean, they're now offering these sort of zip-up bags, which are, are reusable, so you can put your fruit and veg in there. So things have moved on. But yes, we've all seen the David Attenborough program, Blue Planet, and I don't know about you, but I've been horrified at the amount of plastic that reaches our oceans, even in the deepest parts of our ocean. Every, every second, um, a truckload of plastic enters into our ocean. I mean, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's affecting our sea life, our marine life. Um, so we can just try and sort of avoid buying plastic. But if we do have, I mean, another thing that um, shops like Zero Waste do and health shops is you can take your plastic containers and get them refilled. So if you have got plastic containers, you can just keep reusing them. Where you're going to go, and they have various dispensers where you can just go and fill up on on rice, pasta, that sort of thing. So because all the plastic that has been been made and is in existence just doesn't break down, so it's here to stay. So we've got to find a way of reducing that within our lifestyle. Um, can you tell us a bit about how some people are taking action locally? Yes, um, I can. Particularly, um, I'm very encouraged about Eastbourne. Apparently, it's got a um, plastic-free status at the moment, and it was helped. Um, there's 800 people that sort of started this group. They were helped by Surface Against Sewerage. So sewerage being the plastic, actually, and it's a charity set up to help towns, not just coastal towns, but help them to become plastic-free. Um, also, lo even more local, um, in Groomsbury. Angela, you're here, aren't you? With, uh, Hazel and Angela um, is headmistress of St. Thomas School. Is that what you're doing in Groomsbridge? Oh, hello everybody. I just think they're amazing. They've been here all evening. They're 10 years old. Mm -hmm. um, they're in year six at my school. 
Um, we have a vision at Broombridge St. Thomas School that children have a voice and we have an elected school council. Today the school council met with East Sussex County Council and our school catering company because we have a vision to be a plastic-free, disposable plastic-free school and we want to take that into our community. So I've invited the three musketeers to tell you what they're going to be doing. We have been learning about the dumping of vast quantities of plastic waste in the sea and on land and the impact that it's having on increasing global warming. We have seen the forest fires in Australia, the creatures on the brink of extinction in the sea and on land. And we want to put our school motto, make a difference, into action. We want to reduce... Recyclable plastic altogether in our school and village. Our school council is meeting with East Sussex County Council representative and our school catering company to do everything we can. We calculated that a family of three using 10 bottles of milk a week uses 520 a year. Over 10 years, that is 5,200, and that is just a family of three. We found out that the West ships a lot of their plastic waste to poorer countries and dumps it in the sea, forests, and countryside, making mountains of plastic waste, which takes years to decompose. We need everyone to take action. David Attenborough announced on the BBC World News that it is critical now. We started to make a list of things that we could do in our school and village. There is much, much more. Have milk delivered. Have milk in bottles delivered. Google milk and more. Stop buying water in plastic bags and refill a permanent one. Soap bars instead of soap in plastic bottles or refill in shops. Bag for life. Bring shopping home in cardboard boxes from the shops. Only buy biodegradable plastic. Take a, take a permanent bottle, a cup or a bottle, to a cafe and refill it. It's also cheaper. We will be making this list longer by sharing ideas. We need to, we need to use our voice and the Pupil Council. Reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> They're 100,000 or well, 10,000 pupils, but when they get back, they're going to finish their letters to the Prime Minister, inviting him to a school council meeting to find out what he's going to do about it all. <laughs> that was so encouraging. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hazel, would you mind coming up a moment, please? Hazel's Angela's daughter. And Hazel um, painted that amazing picture on canvas. Did you see it as you came in? Um, and uh, thank you, Hazel, that was absolutely... Can you just explain a little bit about your work of art? The picture that I painted on the canvas is all about what we've learned this afternoon, and it's combining ideas of how we can save our planet through art, because I'm a full-time artist, I study art. Um, I'm doing a project at college at the moment called We Are Here, and it's all about saving our planet, etc. 
And I don't know how you, what you took from the painting, but in my eye, the painting is about relating to our faith and how we can use our faith to help our planet. But if you do not believe, it's also about having a voice. The line is about having a voice of speaking out to others about how we can protect our planet and also the animals living on it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to see the uh, younger generation setting an example. You want to hold on to that. <laughs> um, setting an example to us, because it has been young people who've been really pushing this um, quite a lot, hasn't it? Mm. Uh, we've seen seeing them protesting, and uh, people like Greta Thunberg, who I'm probably saying her name wrong, um, has just been really inspirational. So it's great to have you all here. Um, so we've been focusing on plastic as something that we overconsume, but there are a lot of other things we overconsume. Cake for a starter, lots of us at the beginning <laughs> this evening. Um, we don't have a huge amount of time left, so we'll go through a few things quickly. So, Janet, if I give you a problem, a thing that we overconsume, mm -hmm. um, and you can give me a solution. So we talked about plastic cups and plastic bags. Yeah, so um, we could use re reusable cups, bags, <laughs> uh, cardboard boxes if you wanted to load our card with our shopping um, and use other shops apart from supermarkets. Great. I have to add on there as well, um, bar shampoo and conditioner mm. in Holland and Barrett, if you want to talk to me, the ethic range is incredible. Okay, mm. so seriously. That as well? As I said, try and find independent shops that you can go and choose your own fruit and veg and don't have any plastic on them. Um, and if you go in the supermarket, you can actually take the plastic off and leave it with them. That's great. I've always been tempted to do that, but not wanted to be kicked out of Sainsbury's. But, um, but maybe if we all do it, then uh, they can't kick us all out. And I've also heard about people um, sending it to Sainsbury's head office as well. I know Greenpeace um, just mm -hmm. left a load of plastic in their head offices as well. So, you know, really showing these organisations that we don't want it. And this, this pressure does make a difference. So mm. we did an action where we took, uh, I think it was 10 trolleys full of plastic, and dropped it off at Sainsbury's headquarters. And that momentum has pushed them to now announce they're cutting their single-use plastic by 50%. So they've gone from the worst supermarket in yeah. that table yeah. Yeah, to really getting up there and taking action. And that's because people like us have said, no, we don't want this plastic to spread. Can I add also, they're using more boxes now. Mm -hmm. um, so they're boxing items, liquid items. That's, that's Sainsbury's. Mm, that's great to see. Um, how about phones? We all have a phone. I think we're um, in that climate where we keep, we keep wanting to upgrade our phones all the time, and um, mine hasn't been upgraded <laughs> for quite a few years. Um, and, and, you know, why are we doing that? Slow down on that. That would help the environment. Um, how about fast fashion? Fashion, yeah. Um, I think that's changing as well. One of the biggest online um, clothes manufacturers, ASOS, they're, na they're no now doing a lot of clothes that are recycled and it's becoming popular. Uh, people are buying from charity shops and um, I'm recycling clothes for my friends actually. It's, it's quite good fun. That's great. I'm one of the biggest evangelists about eBay clothes shopping. I probably yeah. evangelize it 
about that more than I do about Jesus, which might (laughs) be bad priorities. I don't know. I'll talk to the vicar afterwards. Um, How about anything else? So gifts, for example, we've just had Christmas. I think, yes, try and simplify it and and just, you know, use brown paper and string and and lovely labels. And I think we've just got to be a bit more creative and, and it's much more fun sometimes as well. Brilliant. Um, we've got some time now for any more questions. Um, so, from anything from this evening. <laughs> I very much believe in the power of strength in numbers. And it seems like education is one of the most powerful tools we have on the face of the planet. Mm. And the only way we're going to change universally, because we can't do it one person at a time, is by getting everyone on board. Um, I think it can be hard to change education as a student. I know we, as students, see a lot of problems in education, and it's hard to change. Um, Apart from art, music, things like that, which are free and easily accessible, do you have any suggestions on how we can promote stuff like this, promote words of change? Um, So one thing that we've been doing at my school at um, Bennett Memorial,